Okay, podcast 10. Double digits. No guest. Thank God. <laughs> so much fucking easier. <laughs> I don't know, actually, because you can kind of just let them do the talking from time yeah. to time. You um, do get sick and tired of sounding your own voice. That's true. I get really sick of it as well because I edit this shit, so I'm like... I get really sick of your voice, yeah. actually. I think I talk more about it, the two of us. Oh, 100%. Yeah? Yeah, you're does far that, more verbose. Does it get to you? No, it just means I'm more selective with my vocabulary. Yeah, you definitely are. <laughs> it's interesting because I have to waffle around a ton and I'm like, how does anyone listen to this? <laughs> People seem to like it. It's good. It's a thing now. It's this 10. Yeah, not cancelled. Not cancelled. I am actually genuinely surprised that we haven't said anything yet that is worth, worth you of cancelling. But that being said, we can edit these in post. So even if we did, no one would ever know about it. I don't think there's anything that's been really cut out that was like hectic. It's been fine. Yeah. I say this probably just doesn't have enough listeners to be (laughs) cancelled. And I also run all my reviews of the contemporary works of Adolf Hitler on my other channel. (laughs) (laughs) So what's been going on? It was your birthday like last week. It was. 37. 37. Feel 47. (laughs) I remember turning 30 and being like, I'm going to have to kind of get my life together. But I do also remember on my 30th birthday messaging you and you congratulating me on not having kids. Yeah, well, it's a very important. Yeah. <laughs> like you made it to 30 without having children. It's like if you were playing PlayStation, one of those little badges would pop up in the yeah, top right. No accidental kids at 30. <laughs> Nothing through the Intentional kids, all good, but accidental kids? Yeah, not the one. Not what you want. Like I'm 39 now, 30 to 40 feels like so much quicker than 20 to 30. Mm, I think a lot of it is to do with your conscious of, of the passing of time more as, as time passes mm. um, and you're conscious of how little is left. It is a motherfucker though, but every year it's weird. You find yourself giving less of fucks about mm. you know Christmas, for example. I couldn't give a fuck this year. I was not in the mood. Birthday, I was pretty stoked just to go to the beach and get some poached eggs in the morning. Yeah. That was about as exciting as it got and wasn't mad about it. I just really can't be fucked. I don't know whether that's like how just how it is right now or whether you know, as you get older you just fucking just can't get around it. But it's- I wish I, I wish I did have that youthful exuberance like you did once upon a time. Well that's what kids are for. Christmas to me now is watching all of my nieces and nephews open presents. True, yeah. Because you see that excitement and you get excited for them. If you act excited, you are excited sometimes. (laughs) You were saying we spoke about um, this with the podcast. You notice after doing it for a little while, the energy that you bring is the way that the podcast kind of goes. Yeah. And if you're kind of feeling a bit... Like lethargic or sluggish. If you're feeling lethargic or sluggish, then you rely on other people's energy a little bit. Oh, 100%. And I feel that at Christmas... I'm the same as you. I'm like, I don't really care. I can't be bothered. Single, I was no Christmas tree at home or anything like that. Yet when I went out for Christmas Day and I went to my mum's place and the kids were there and stuff, you kind of feign that excitement because you're seeing kids get excited and then that actually makes you feel excited. Yeah, for sure. Mine had a trampoline this year. Yep. I got on it and it's like 40 fucking four degrees or something down in Belia, which may as well be Mars. Yeah, it's like 100 degrees. <laughs> It was fun though, man, hanging out with the Rugrats. You got two? Uh, like to your phrasing to change slightly there. I don't have two. My sister's got two. <laughs> you just nearly gave me a heart attack. I was like, what, where? <laughs> My stepsister's got two as well. And all those kids are like the same age, so they just feed off each other. They like, hang out? Do they hang out together? They do. It's like this. they combine into this black hole of noise and drool. It's really quite a strange phenomenon. Do you feel like as you get older that you should be thinking about having kids? 
yes and no. Well, I don't, like you have friends that are having kids. Yeah, I don't feel the pressure. I like I don't feel like for me having kids. I think if you get the opportunity to choose when it happens, is um, is great. But often you don't get to choose, and mm. I think everyone I've spoken to has always said, "You're never ready." They just kind of happen. But I'd prefer to be as ready as I can. Mm. And I know for sure, not even close right now, that he's. Yeah. Could I look after a kid if one came along? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure I'd be a great dad. Well, that's the difference, isn't it? So like, I like travel and fast cars. It's like, yeah. Fuck. I'd rather do that for now. <laughs> it's true. The travel thing's not really happening. No. I've noticed a lot of people having kids lately, which is just like our age group, obviously. And it's it makes boarding, sense. boarding lockdown. Yeah, I think people are like, I'm gonna, <laughs> maybe people's timelines have been pushed forward a little bit more. Well, you know, they talk about the whole butterfly effect, you know, butterfly flaps with wings, et cetera, et cetera. What if the COVID phenomenon creates this giant spike in population worldwide that in 15, 20 years is actually the catalyst for the entire collapse of civilization as we know it? COVID needs to work harder to counteract that. Yeah. Everyone's bitching and moaning about Bill Gates. You guys missed the real Trojan horse. Trojan's caught on the fact that it's like really, 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 really level, really levels to that. <laughs> I've been looking this week into metaverse and, and that sort of stuff because I've got a technically like a job interview with a, a metaverse and NFT exchange and something else. It's just all stuff that I don't know anything about. So I've been like immersing myself in that, trying to get an understanding of it. And apparently being a YouTuber is the number one job that kids want. Yeah, you're 100% right. So when you step into looking into things like the metaverse or NFTs, the social commentary on it is absolutely insane. There's millions of videos and it's like, why this NFT is going to crash and why this and that. I'm fighting apathy because I don't want to know really. With anything like this, it always seems to be engineered in a way that no one really knows what's going on behind the covers. Like it's very opaque. You can't condense it down. And the people that are making money seem to be ahead of the curve. It's very much when the people that are the specialists or the people that are like the main voices in that space are also like trolls. There's so much money in this, and but the gatekeepers or the people that are in charge of the technology seem to be dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, okay. Because before that, it was housing, right? So like we grew up, our parents were like, if you can get into the housing market, you're laughing. And you were like, okay. And the proof was in the pudding. Everyone had made tons of money from houses. The majority of our parents had more than one property. And then they fucked that whole thing so badly that by the time we came around to buy houses, it was like, oh, okay, so I just buy this and then it goes up in value, right? Within 10 years, I should be able to double my money. Yeah. And everyone's yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how it works. And you're like, that doesn't sound right. And they're like, no, 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 trust me, that's how it works. They weren't intelligent. They didn't have master's degrees in economics. No, and there's they no access to information. Doing, yeah, they were just doing what their friends were doing and it was working. So that shit ended and I bought a place and it's worth less money than what I paid for it. Mm -hmm. And then you go back to the people that gave you the advice and you go, fuck's that about? And they're like, oh, I don't know, like just, just, uh, just hold on to it. The property thing is very vanilla. Like it's the investment equivalent of just stick your money in the bank. Yeah. That is one thing I'll give these crypto millionaires. And there are a few in our close circle of people uh, that we know who have made millions. The one thing that I'll give them all is that they 
deserve it because they're super passionate about it. And if you've ever spoken to someone who's made money off crypto or the equivalent, they're always experts. They have passion, they research, they understand it in and out and they've made money. So good on them. And there is a lot of luck. You contrast that with the investment in property idea that our parents had. Um, and to be honest, it probably wasn't even an investment theory for them. It was like, you just buy a house, you get married, you have kids and then you live in that house. No, um, but it was the second one where it was like buying investment property. And correct. Negative yeah. Gear, negative, you know, like that sort of yes. Thing. That whole mentality um, was was a departure from from traditional, but there was no real understanding or foresight or a strategy around that. It was just like, okay, this is what we do. Like you said, just getting led around. Whereas these guys who have made money, yeah, sure, it's quick and easy in inverted commas, but I will give them the fact that they're all fucking very clever. Man, I will respect the winners, the people that claim to be experts in this field and there's a lot of them and people that you talk to they're like no you got to do this and this is the one you got to buy and stuff it's like yeah. unless you're fucking rich show me your lamborghini up. yeah and then tell me what you need me to do exactly and i'll do it <laughs> isn't there like a super millionaire in perth that made the like crazy frog ringtone or some shit <laughs> you're thinking of there's there's probably a couple here the richest dude is lawrence escalante that vgw billionaire his scheme was, um, I'll understand it loosely, but it's essentially like gambling, I think via Facebook, but they use tokens to mitigate the, the no money kind of exchanging thing. And that's made a fucking mint in 10 years or something. He's gone from fucking Midland, wherever the fuck he lived, to a billionaire. Um, but I think you're thinking about Zenya Shevchenko, whatever his name is. He ran the SMS scams back in the day and he got Snoop Dogg to come play his birthday and shit lived in Applecross. Really? Is that who you're thinking of? No, I, didn't oh, okay. I don't know. Like, I've just, every time I see a McLaren driving around, I'm like, no, that's the crazy frog guy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that was just my, I got a tiny bit of information and just stored it as that because I don't care. Yeah. Now, the Zenya story is really fucking interesting. It's like a Russian immigrant dude. He's a super stylish, suave kind of guy, young, and ran this scheme uh, where it would send out subscription services via SMS to like ringtones or your horoscope or something shit yeah. and uh he just got extradited to the u.s where he's being tried over there for it tens of hundreds of millions of dollars extorted out of people via these dodgy scams and yeah he lived in like Applecross. literally flew snoop dog here to play his birthday were you there no <laughs> dude this seems like someone that you would know have you met him uh once he um was at a, an event but he got locked up pretty soon after. That's sick. Yeah, funny. Way too close to the sun. Yeah, man. Crazy. Like, I think he was pretty confident he wasn't going to get extradited back to the US. <laughs> we need to get that guy on from prison. <laughs> <laughs> that Lawrence guy that lives here with all the money. Well, I've heard it from fairly solid sources that he's just bought himself a plane. It's like a global Bombardier 7500 or something. The rumor is it's like 80 to 100 million. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of doing the podcast with someone that's in prison, I got quite addicted to prison YouTubers. Lockdown 23 and 1 is a good one. Yeah. He seems to be the best one. Just has people on that tell stories about like how crazy prison is. I've noticed lately that I have like morbid fascinations. Like I'm like really entertained by that. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, this is real life. This is like a real human experience. The prison system in America is obviously absolutely fucked. But then I started getting into that chapter, which is this like charming Irish kid that tells stories about murders. It's basically like watching a Netflix special on yeah, like some on YouTube. horrific thing. Pretty but sure I saw him uh, do one. It was like a Japanese one. And the dude went and killed like all these mentally disabled yeah. people. 
Yeah, yeah they're wow. all like 25 minutes. Yeah. You don't, you don't give that much to it. I've watched other ones where they're like got a really dark, sinister music mm-hmm, and tones mm-hmm. and stuff, but he's just like quite nice. So it's quite a nice contrast. But he's telling, I went on there the other day and I was like, I'll just watch one of those trying to go to sleep or something. And obviously it's really good to just listen to like- In the background. Murder before you go to sleep. Perfect. I had to go back like many, 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 many uploads to find one that I hadn't watched. I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what am I doing? More recently, I've got into software underbelly. Yeah, that's crazy. The weird morbid shit though, like uh, there's one on there. They do like breakdowns of interrogations. On so the, it, that chapter one? I don't think it's that chapter. They, they show a lot of interrogation stuff on that. Okay. This guy's an American, I think, and he just like narrates over what like the the detectives or whatever are doing. And man, some of them are like three hours long. And I look up and I'm like fucking two minutes, uh, two hours, 15 into this thing. I'm like, where the fuck is the time yeah, going? What am I doing? But that's soft white underbelly, man. That shit is super real. And he's done a great job in like the aesthetic of it. Mm. I don't know how it's just. Well, he's a photographer. Oh, okay. So I actually got into that by watching an interview that he did with Adam 22 from No Jumper. Mm-hmm. The guy's quite interesting because he's quite monotone. Like, yeah. I assume that maybe he had been a heroin addict. Yeah, like a, a, on their level kind of thing. Like, yeah, but he's not. No. He's, he looks like he's about 50, 55 maybe. And he pays all these people for their interviews. For those of you that haven't seen it, it's got like two and a half million subscribers. And he's a photographer. So he used to just take photos of people, sort of like a Humans of New York sort of, yep. kind of thing from what I can gather. Um, so he sets them up. So they're set, they're set against the backdrop. And the, the profile picture of each of the episodes is the photo mm. but he is interviewing them on yeah. camera like i said before like i'll edit this stuff and we i find it quite enjoyable and i i appreciate like people are enjoying it and i'm trying to get better at it i'm looking at these things with a little bit of a different eye and this guy's really interesting because he tries to get out of the way so he in a lot of them he goes okay well where did you grow up and sometimes he doesn't speak again yeah but he just lets the silence go and because these people are being paid and they're not used to being on camera or anything like that. Probably feel they have to they, they, feel it. They're like, oh, I need to do this. Mm. And then they just start talking. The strongest stories seem to come out of that because they're genuine human stories. And that is fascinating to me. It's really sad that those stories are so harrowing. We normally hear stories of drug addicts or prostitutes or people that have spent time in prison and stuff in like a Hollywood scenario where it's being kind of glamorized. Yeah. And with that, it's as raw as it mm. gets. It's super interesting. The platforms like YouTube and that allow those stories to happen. There was one guy on there that's a crackhead, right? And he was talking about, he went to Harvard. He got into smoking crack in like the late 90s. And he said that he just did it twice and it was like a nothing thing. Crack wasn't even like, hadn't really hit the mainstream. And he said like the third time he did it, it grabbed him and now... 30 years later he's not been sober for more than a year fuck and he's done 35 stints in rehab and he's intelligent he's articulate kind of reminded me of you you're like an intelligent articulate person that smokes crack <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering where you're going with this I was like, that's not where i was that was a deviation <laughs> josh doesn't smoke crack um not every day no. so he's telling this kind of self-deprecating story He's like, it sucks. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm trying to get out of this. My family are just disappointed. I'm super honest with everyone. He works for the city of Los Angeles. I think he's an engineer. And he's like, they know that I smoke crack. So he's a functioning crack addict. He goes, every sort of six months or something, I'll just have to message him and be like, 
not coming today. <laughs> yeah, and he goes, and then I'll come back in six weeks. Mm. Um, he says before people would just fire you, but now they're kind of understanding that it's it's actually being widely received as addiction being a medical thing. Mm. And when you hear these people talk, you really understand that. Like you're like you're in a terrible situation. And like, he's pretty fortunate because he has a job and he has a family and stuff, but he's a functioning crack addict. Whereas the girls that end up in prostitution and stuff, it's like, there's so many layers deep on trying to save them from this, this situation. Man, the one I could not get through. Have you seen the ones where he does the, like the family and they're all inbred? Oh, I couldn't watch it. Couldn't, I couldn't. I saw the thumbnail and I was like. Oh, I I tried. It was too grim for me. It was strange it looks very strange you could take some shopping and stuff i think as well yes yeah that's like i think there's three or four interviews of these people over several years and like people have died and man inbreeding is a thing apparently and um the results are not pretty they're not pleasant no no well you think about that like the only thing you know about inbreeding is like the hills have eyes right and like horror movies yeah so if you were inbred and the they're, only, all, the they're only... all really dexterous and good with axes usually, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so that's why I was so surprised that these guys could barely get out a word. Yeah, right. So they're not... Yeah. Not they're stabby not at all. No. <laughs> no. Quite docile. I'm sure if you get them in the right trailer park. Maybe. They Fuck. really come to life. The right shade of USA bikini or something. But don't you think it's funny that you can be so dismissive of people by painting them as something because we have such limited knowledge of things? So if you're like, ah, oh, that person's a crackhead, that person's a prostitute, that person is a thief or has spent time in jail, we kind of have these automated responses to them. And then occasionally you'll meet someone that has been through something like that. And as long as they're not that anymore, it maybe changes your perception of that. Mm-hmm. I had a friend that, was a, that used to be a heroin addict and he was super interesting, super creative, like just an, just an incredible person and it kind of changed my perception of what you know you don't you don't take heroin and then just become a terrible person it's like but he wasn't a heroin addict anymore so the interesting thing about the software underbelly and things like that was like you're hearing from the people that are in it and they're not bad people and they're still able to articulate themselves in a way in a way they're kind of saying we're part of society but we're not represented Mm -hmm. we need help and in a lot of ways i think you can pull it back to circumstances here it's very easy when people are speaking american accents to be like that's all america it's all a movie but i mean here we had the campsite where all of the homeless people were living which is just near the apartment that i bought and that showed me for the first time that there was a genuine homeless problem here because mm-hmm. I'd been in America and I'd seen it and it looked exactly the same as that. It was like tent cities. And then they moved them all on, which I think is, is probably not the right thing. But what it was, it did show that that ex- actually exists here and that there's people that are struggling. And the majority of it appears to be mental health related and drug abuse related. And drug abuse is like a big symptom of mental health. I wonder how that story can be humanized here because there's still a lot of people talk about that stuff and go homeless people or crazy people or drug addicts and stuff like that. It's like, do they die drug addicts? Do homeless people die homeless? Or is it a transient thing? Are they homeless for a period and then they get better? And if they do get better, how do they get better? Is there things out there that are helping them? Or do we just decide, do we just go, there's society and then there's these people that have chosen not to partake and that's their path and the typical one that we've grown up with in Australia is like, they got fucking all the options in the world. You know, we give them Centrelink and they're stealing our taxes and stuff like that. It's like, 
do you think there's anything going on where there's hope for people like that or if you see someone on the street do you just kind of assume that that's their life from that point on yeah i think they're really going to struggle because the sentiment isn't there i mean the awareness is starting to be there i mean it's very difficult to walk down the street in the cbd now and and not see it it's nowhere near as bad as melbourne like you'll walk down collins street or something and there'll be mattresses a chest of drawers outside the 7-eleven but here the sentiment is still one of let's pretend it's not there Mm -hmm. i do it all the time you walk past them well you work right near that spot yeah you work next to my apartment yeah it's fucking sketchy. You, you, it sounds violent at night and it's hard to empathize when there's a lack of understanding combined with the fact people are scared. Yeah. People don't want to get fucking, you know, the, the stereotype, you're going to get stabbed by a needle or you're going to get abducted or some shit, you know, like there, there has to be, uh, there has to be that addressed first. Well, fear is always going to be stronger than understanding, right? Yeah. Um, something that I learned when I was working backing onto King Street, which we've spoken about before, is there's a bunch of heroin addicts. If you're doing heroin in the city, you could just go and sit between Queen Street and King Street. And there's kind of this like barren area where you get Instagram kids that want to take photos next to the big graffiti wall and the red biroscape mm. and stuff. But then you have a bunch of people literally doing heroin and my knowledge of it as well outside street x when street x was in the alleyway there was a couple of dudes that were just doing heroin all the time there i wonder um, what happened to that dude remember that one that used he's still around is he yeah jay is it jason yeah i think so when they're on heroin they're fine the majority of time that they've taken heroin they are quite lucid sometimes they're absolutely fucked and they're completely asleep and like drooling and stuff but for the most part they get it and they they get well they call it getting well and I had had conversations with a bunch of people outside um, the office in King Street. But when they don't have heroin or when they're needing heroin, they're terrifying. Mm. And I used to say it to a girlfriend. I was like, you need to be wary because the guy that seems like the jolly homeless man that is like misunderstood and you have empathy for can also fuck you up if you represent something that can essentially get him drugged. And it's interesting that because I didn't have any fear in that space. I mean, I'm six foot six. For the most part, I've learned through my life, people just don't bother. Mm-hmm. They go, fuck me up because I'm not really good with these hands. <laughs> not slick with it. Nah. And um, whereas I think with the most part, people are just like, oh, fuck with someone else. Mm. But when people that I care about are involved, the fear is there where you're like, oh, I'm worried. Like my apartment in Northbridge was banging the center of a fucking shit show. Me going in and out of there, no drama, but people coming to see me, concerning. Mm -hmm. So the fear is definitely a big thing. But how do you fucking help people like that? Because society needs to help them, right? And don't get me wrong, I'm not like a fucking bleeding heart person. There was a person that I would consider crazy outside the window of where we're talking now screaming and i filmed it and put it on the internet and it went semi-viral and people are laughing at him so that's not like a good thing to do um there is things that are funny like if a dude is screaming about his butthole hurting outside my office at two in the morning that's fucking hilarious i also do feel bad for the guy but i'm not about to go out there nah and be like are you okay or would you like a donut to sit on yeah (laughs) i would love to speak to someone about that stuff i was thinking about it because i just went on a bit of an underbelly binge mm. and i was like man maybe we could get like a because there's crackheads everywhere around here <laughs> just get one in and just have a chat but like i don't think it's really uh i don't th- i don't necessarily think it works that way i mean there's got to be some buy-in from from the people running the show um and it seems like everyone is very quick to be distracted to the next 
you know, interesting thing. Now everyone's pissed off because you can't have a music festival, but you can have a horse race. Mm. Or tomorrow they'll be pissed off about fucking something else. Something that takes the emphasis away from real problems and just puts them on the immediate. Correct. That's Perth 101, though. Look at the freeway. We're still widening the fucker. How about thinking fucking 10 years ahead, 15 years ago? Doing it once. I, I know. It's um, it's a constant band-aid. Um, never fixed the problem, but it seems to be a Perth, a Perth thing. Maybe it's everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> well, we, I mean, the problems that we have here are minimal in comparison to a lot of other places in the world that we've been. You know, like there's not huge gun violence, but I mean, there does seem to be... There was a fucking drive-by shooting in Wanneroo. Mm. Two drive-by shootings the other night. I was at the gym. I saw it on the news. Bro, a guy got sniped at the fucking Quinana Motorplex. That's very true. And then they used the contact tracing app. Yeah, I know. To find him. The dumb cunt signs in when he rolls up to assassinate a man. I would have thought that would be Sniper 101. I'm not sure. Don't sign into Safe WA. <laughs> you fucking muppet. But I'm not I, sure that's how it went down. I think if you have it on your phone... They can just turn that. They can turn on to a time and go. These are the people who are around. Only if so you make fine. if you make a phone call or a text no, message. No, no, you, you try to the like, hang on. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. why. Oh, of course. And they were like, "We're not going to do that, guys." Nah. And then they did it, and Unless. they're like, "Come on!" But it was to catch a sniper. Yeah. It's like you are fucking doing it regardless. Yeah. A sliding scale in. of fucking allowances there. I, but, I, I sign into places old school with my fucking hand. Oh, do you? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't trust the fucking government. Not. At all. Like, that's 101. Like, they literally said, we are not going to do that. I had arguments with people about it. I was like, they are, because I just read a book. All good conspiracies, theories start with, I just read this book. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. (laughs) But they said they weren't going to do it, and then they did it. First chance they got. So it's like, no, I'm not fucking, I'm not having that on my phone. And everyone's like, oh, man, but you give all your info out on, like, Instagram and stuff. It's like, they can't do that shit with Instagram. Not the local police. They can on a federal level, I'm sure. Mm. And I'm not committing, like, fucking any major crimes. I quit the nicotine. You quit nicotine. And you were you were vaping, though, right? Yeah, You yeah. hadn't smoked cigarettes for ages. Okay, so I... Dad got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma before, he, before they went in and checked everything out, realised he had leukaemia. When he got diagnosed, I was like, okay, I'm not going to go to the hospital smelling cigarette smoke when someone got cancer. Yeah. That seems like an insanely large piss take. Yeah, taking the piss hard. <laughs> yeah, so I got on the vape. Um, and then I was quite proud of myself for getting on the vape because it was a lesser evil. Felt much better. Didn't smell, didn't get headaches, didn't wake up with that kind of hangover feeling. Mm-hmm. And you always feel like a little bit of a scumbag when you smoke cigarettes, especially when, you smoke, when you've been smoking for a while. You're not doing the glamorous, like, smoking outside of nightclubs looking fantastic. You're doing that shit in your underwear on the balcony and stuff. It's just, it's just not fun. Yeah, I quit, started smoking the vape. And the idea was just to cycle down to the vape and then get off it. But the vape has its own addictive qualities. And the main one is nicotine because nicotine is nicotine and it's addictive. And anyone that tells you that they're addicted to a fucking hand movement, like, oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, just, I like smoking because like, I like having something in my hand. It's like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's nicotine. No one gets addicted to a hand movement between the hand and face unless they have like chronic OCD. Oh, I've got a hand like movement. I'm pretty fucking addicted to <laughs> <laughs> Love chopping garlic. <laughs> <laughs> thing with the nicotine though is with the vaping it was like you could i could do it anywhere anytime so yeah I, you could be fucking inside dude inside <laughs> in bed and it, yeah and it, the problem is that it was like the 40s in here <laughs> it becomes 
constant and mm. it's become constant for so many people I know where you're just doing it it smells nice it doesn't impede on anyone don't, people don't get upset about it the problem is is it gives you a little dopamine hit every time you get nicotine so it's instant gratification and it is the most instant gratification that you can get potentially <coughs> the fastest dopamine response that you can create I definitely that I've experienced mm-hmm. so I'm sitting there my brain goes need dopamine boom take a hit to the point where it becomes automatic. But I noticed it when I would like take a break from work and we've got FIFA in the studio. Every time there was like a corner or a goal kick, I could grab it, get one in. And I only noticed that because I'm not doing it now. I literally do the physical movement. Mm. And then you need to give it about a minute and a half before that craving stops. So I quit on boxing day. I feel fucking amazing. Like I yeah. feel really good. The negatives are terrible. I've got the worst insomnia I've ever had. Um, and by insomnia, I mean like, I could easily 100% go two days without sleep and mm-hmm. stop. And it's, it fucks you up, obviously. Yeah. But it just clouds your brain. That's the thing that's really sort of fucking with me in the moment. And I've read that that should wear off pretty soon. So I am getting sleep, but I'm not getting quality sleep. The reason that I quit now was because I knew that I had about a week and a half of not really having to do work and not having a lot of responsibility. And I knew I'd been wanting to quit for a long time and I knew it was going to suck. And that it was going to stress me out. It was going to make me irritable and things like that. And I was like, this is probably the best time for that to happen because I don't have a lot of responsibility. Um, but my energy levels are fucking crazy. I've gone to the gym for like an hour and a half every day and twice some days just to try and burn it off to get some sleep. My energy levels, my endorphin response is crazy. And then I started reading more into it and it was saying about... Um, people of vape are like 40% more likely to experience depressive symptoms than people that don't because they're still learning about this stuff, right? It shocks me. I go out um, and have beers with uh, a group of boys who are in their late 20s, early 30s. There is not a single one of them who doesn't have a gun pod or something in their hand at all times. And I was, we haven't actually spoken about any of this previous to now and, and uh, what you were talking about before, you know, just the consistency of it and the fact that you can do it wherever, coupled with the fact that a lot of this stuff's coming from third world markets. Mine was coming from Malaysia. Yeah, well, uh, yeah but you used to use the ones that you actually put the oil in. Yeah, into yeah. a machine. I'm talking the about those like pre-packaged, jewel-esque little pod uh, the gun they're selling, pods. They're selling that shit, at bro. The shop, yeah. In Seven Elevens and shit under the counter. My boys have got a guy who will drive in a car and deliver deliver in a giant bag for fucking thirty bucks each. I know a guy who bought a fucking pallet. A guy who owns a business bought a pallet just because he's like fuck. I'll sting some people here, but no one knows what the fuck's in them. But mm. we're so fucking happy, and I'm guilty of it. I've been out on a few nights there. I've sucked one down, no, no problem. Yeah. But I'm surprised with the, how quick people are so willing just to jam something in their mouth. they got no fucking idea what it is. I think it's an interesting one because we all know cigarettes are so fucking bad that just by association, hitting the vape is not as bad. Mm. And there's a weird psychological element to that because you're like, oh, I'm not having a cigarette. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, I don't know what it's going to do to you and, and things like that. Like, you don't really know. Like, if anyone's going to get sick from vaping, it's going to be me because I did it for five years full fucking time. Like, mm-hmm. It was like every 13th breath. It's crazy, man. Like, I was like, I want to stop. I woke up Boxing Day. I had like three drags in bed, which I fucking hated doing anyway. But scrolling on my phone and then fucking sucking down nicotine. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. 
Yeah. How bad can it get? And I was like, all right, well, now's the time. And I was, I'd be first to say, like, I wasn't completely committed to it. I wasn't like, this is the time I'm doing all of this. But I was like, let's see how bad it is. And um, for the first hour, every four minutes, I was completely consumed by nicotine cravings. Yeah. I don't know if the nicotine was providing the dopamine hit, but there's this immediate satisfaction, which isn't good for anyone, I don't think. Like, you need to try. You should, <laughs> you should earn it. Earn it, yeah. <laughs> so that not being there, that fucked with me. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll just do it without the nicotine, you know, like, because I've got some nicot- nicotine-free juice and stuff. I was like, fuck that. If you can't quit vaping, then you're a weak person. Right? <laughs> so it's like, just do something hard. So that's what I've been doing. And um, the positives are way outweighing the negatives at the moment. It's interesting because I feel like I took a five-year detour and quitting smoking. It's something that's kind of a little bit shocking is like, since I've not been doing it and people are like, oh, you had that in your hand like 100% of the time that I've known you. I'm holding a fucking vape. That's like, a, that's like embarrassing, right? But it's also crazy. Yeah. Because I didn't think it was a big part of my life. And don't get me wrong. Like, I wasn't sitting there blowing clouds. Like I wasn't doing some fucking competitive vaping. <laughs> like, I was literally just getting nicotine. It was like the, the best way I could. Looking back on it, it's kind of like, it is actually quite embarrassing to think about like the fact that something I was doing as to try and be positive, like kind of a positive thing for my life actually ended up being I suppose it's probably still not as bad as smoking cigarettes. Well, fuck, I would challenge that purely for the fact that we just don't know. Um, and I don't that's see not, how... That's not a point that you can challenge something on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I challenge that based on my lack of knowledge. Well, you, you're saying it's true without any fact whatsoever. <laughs> well, we know how bad cigarettes are. We do know how bad cigarettes are. We don't know how bad vapes are. Does that mean they are then better than cigarettes? It is to be we seen. can't say that. It we is to be seen. It is to be seen. All I'm saying is igniting anything in any way, shape or form, sucking it down into your lungs that's artificial, that isn't fucking O2, is a problem. It's very true. But that being said, I'm a massive proponent for doing whatever the fuck you want to do in life. If you want to go out and uh, and sink four pints and have a couple of darts, chat shit in the smoking area, which is where some of the best friendships are made, then fucking by all means. We get very defensive on the things that we do. If someone would challenge me on the vaping thing, and people did from time to time, they'd be like, oh, vaping. And I'd be like, oh, wait, look, I'm not into vaping. This is just me to get getting nicotine. But you become like defensive on these. It doesn't fucking matter what it is. It's like at face value, it is what it is, right? <laughs> Did You're you- trying to make it better for yourself in some way. But the reality of it is that it didn't bring me any enjoyment. It didn't have any benefit to me other than the fact that I was servicing a nicotine addiction. Yeah. Did you start vaping because it was a better alternative to get your nicotine delivery or did you start vaping because it was a more socially acceptable way of getting your nicotine delivery? No, not at all. So what the, I, I had to stop smoking cigarettes. Oh, for, for your dad. Yeah, of course. And being hit with the information that your dad's facing a life threatening disease is a stressful thing. So I knew that quitting smoking at that moment was not going to help yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah, absolute course. fucking whirlwind of bullshit that's yeah. happening. so i was like let's get that out of the way do this and then that's removed like the immediate issue which mm. is smelling like cigarettes when you go into a fucking hospital mm-hmm. like going into the cancer ward smelling of cigarettes <laughs> and when you haven't smoked cigarettes for a while the offensive yeah strong yeah odor on your hands smokes, as well yeah. it's terrible an easy way to save money for anyone that smokes cigarettes that doesn't want to quit smoking stop buying cologne 
<laughs> there is like <laughs> absolutely no one can smell it. No one can ever fucking smell it because it's you just anyone who doesn't smoke just smells like cigarette. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is fucking interesting, man. Like I had some stomach issues like a few months ago, a lot of pain and things like that. And I was going and getting a bunch of tests and they were like, it might be this and it might be that. And I was reading like, you know, pancre- pancreatitis and things like that, which weren't being ruled out at the time. And I felt a huge amount of regret because I was reading about smoking causing pancreatitis, which is a horribly slow and awful fucking death. And then as soon as the test results come back, I'm just like... (laughs) (laughs) I have an interesting problem where I have the ability to quit anything at the drop of a hat and not go back. Give me an example. Unless I want to go back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm leaving you to go with this. So, for example, like... um, (laughs) stop smoking spin because i was like fuck it well first off i only smoked joints once upon a time and they were always spun for a number of reasons one smoke better to the buzz of the nicotine and weed combo delivers for you but um i was like this is not really sustainable it's kind of fucking gross don't want to be doing it anymore so i'm going to cut it out quit cold turkey went straight to the non-spun coughed like a motherfucker for like two weeks and then got used to it then got presented with an opportunity smoked with someone who smokes spin got back into it realized fuck i actually really enjoy this Hmm. (laughs) started again maybe that's the nature of addiction it's like well it is because you think that you have choice in these things you have the ability to choose to not do something and I, i quit smoking cigarettes many times but then I went back to smoking cigarettes because I wanted to. Like I'd have a cigarette and I was like, ah, oh, it's nice. And then you let your guard down for a bit. But then you hit back to a point where you're like, oh, fuck, I'm fucking smoking. Yeah. I don't want to do this. So it still gets its claws in you. For the majority of people, you can quit things anytime. But can you make it stick? Do, do you, you want to make it stick? Yeah, do you want it? And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Do you want to? I didn't never touch another cigarette, but in all fucking honest reality... I reckon I've had five cigarettes. Yeah, I don't think you've, you would never have bought a packet. Oh, absolutely not. No. In, in five years. I think the only cigarettes you've ever smoked when I've known that you've not smoked is one of mine. Exactly. And I think that would be realistically like maybe once or twice. Yeah, that I could, yeah. Yeah, I have one on news. No, you've done really well. Yeah, and it's just like because I fucking wanted to, I wanted to quit smoking. It was a decision where it was like, this is final. And I knew it at the time. I was like, this is final. I'm not going to buy a fucking pack of cigarettes now. It's not going to happen. Until you're at that point, I think even every other time that I quit smoking, if I'm being honest, like I was never 100% in. I was like, I'll quit for the time being and I'll, I'll see how things go. I quit for two years once. No one can ever make you stop doing something. Nah. And you need to come to that realization yourself and you need to go through the fire of it being hard. And that's what I'm doing now with the vaping thing. I'm going through the fire with it. I'm not a big proponent of, you know, when you quit smoking and people go, I won't smoke in front of you. It's like fucking smoke in front of me. Like make test me, make me earn this shit. (laughs) You know, like you can't expect the world to change. Yeah. You need to make those changes within yourself. I just wonder what heavier addiction is like. I felt the addictive traits of Oxycontin. Like I felt that I was talking to my mom about this the other day where I had shattered my wrist snowboarding, like a small bone in my wrist. And I needed to have like quite radical surgery. Like it was seemed like a, a weird thing at the time. Was it radical surgery because it was snowboarding? Yeah, yeah. But we had, uh, the only way you can fix it is by doing it while snowboarding. It has to be rad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was an overconfidence injury. 
As um, a lot of them tend to be. Yeah, I yeah. Find. All, all of mine do. All of mine do. I said to you the other week, I was like, man, I might get my motorbike license. You're like, don't. Because you, you fucking hurt yourself. And I was like, yeah. Because I would do dumb things because I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I, I get it. I can do anything now. You know, it's funny. I framed that the same way I framed it when my dad said he was going to buy a scooter. Yeah, yeah. I was like, dad, nah. Well, how do you feel about you riding a motorbike? Riding motorbikes one of the, my my most loved things. Yeah. Um, now that I'm 37, I just don't think I could on the road at the moment purely because other people are just fucking idiots. But the temptation is always there. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a very good boy. I mean, my dad must have had a heart attack. I was 25 or 24 or something. Never even had my motorbike L's and I bought a 2007 GSX R600 off the showroom floor, brand new. I did 20 something thousand road kilometers on that bike with no license um, and managed to not really get in much trouble. I got pulled over once and you know, you leave in my house. Uh, no, Farmer Freeway? no, 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 no. Uh, on that bike, that one I got pulled over in Baldivis. And then uh, two years after that, I bought a 2009 CBR 1000 Fireblade that, that I did another 20,000 road Ks on again with no license, 1000 CC Superbike essentially. And I got pulled over on that one once as well. Both times, um, yeah, managed to get get away with relatively scot free. I remember one of them, the guys were impressed by the bike, right? And you were talking <laughs> through the bike. It's a funny story. Um, so when I had the GSXR, I was riding down to a mate's house in Baldivis. And at the end of the freeway, Baldivis used to be the end of the freeway once upon a time for all our younger listeners. There was a large roundabout there. And because it was so large and uh, like large, um, you could kind of, when you're on the bike, you kind of lie right over. And then it used to open up onto like a little crest of a hill. And you, I could always gas it around there and it felt, felt awesome. So I did that, gassed it, came up over the hill. It's probably doing 120, backed off. And then I see these headlights come up behind me super fast and super bright. And I reckon I can tell an undercover cop car by their headlights from at least a kilometer away. They have a very specific brightness to them that other car people will know. So I'm like, this is fucking cops. And uh, I turn left at the roundabout to go to my friend's sort of estate. And sure enough, blue lights come on behind me and I pull over. I'm thinking in my helmet, I am fucked here. The thought of running did cross my mind, but I thank fuck that I had the presence of mind, despite how fucking stupid I was, to not do that because um, that never ends well. I pull over and I'm thinking in my helmet, I'm fucked here. I don't have a license. This is going to be riding unlicensed. The bike's going to have to be towed. I'm in Baldivis. I live, you know, uh, way north. This is going to be terrible. So I get off the bike and thinking in my head, what the fuck do I say to these fucking cops? And the cop comes over to me. He's like, oh, yeah, g'day, mate. You got your license? And I said, look, no. Um, i got to be honest with you. I don't have a license. The bike's registered in my dad's name. I've just come back over from the UK. I was riding super bikes over there for Suzuki and they actually gave me this bike as a retirement gift when I finished. And he's like, no shit. He's like, I just bought one of these. It's a 2007. I said, yeah, it's 07. He's like, what do you think of it? I was like, mate, look, the brakes are a little bit vague. The first thing I'd do, put some braided lines on it, you know, sharpen them up a little bit. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. We get chatting again about, you know, my alleged life as a superbike rider in, the, in Europe. And um, he goes to me, look, I'm going to let you off riding out of class. It's a $100 fine, no demerit points, but you can't ride the bike home. I was like, mate, I'm 
thank you. Um, but I'm, I'm in Baldivis. I live in Murdoch. I don't really want to leave my brand new bike on the side of the road. He's like, look, Josh, we got to go back to the station. That's this way. He points to his right. You got to go home, which is this way, points to his left. He said, but you can't ride the bike home. But we're going this way. They get in the car and they drive off. I was like, holy shit. My dad always says, Josh, you kissed on the dick by a fairy. You're too fucking lucky. Again, I was like, fuck me. I couldn't wait to get home to tell my dad the story, despite the fact that I knew I was naughty riding this fucking bike with no license. Anyway, fast forward two years. I've got the CBR 1000 now, and I'm riding down by the old Coogee powerhouse. Completely nighttime, no one around. I'm doing 140. It's a 70 zone there, coming down the hill. What I haven't seen is there's an undercover car parked in the bushes and there's a guy with a, a handheld and he's clocked me coming down the hill. They jumped in their car, chased after me. I haven't even noticed them until it was far too late. They were up my ass, blue and red lights. I was like, again, it's like a replay of the first time. I was like, I am fucked here. I've done it again. I was like, what the fuck am I going to say? This is all the thoughts going through my head in my helmet as I'm pulling the bike over to the side of the road. And I'm like, I can't tell them the same fucking story. I was like, there's no way it's going to work twice in a row. Bear in mind, this is over two years ago at this point. And I was like, nah, look, I'm just going to come clean. I'm going to tell them exactly what, what's going on. So get off the bike, pull my, pull my helmet off. Cop comes up to me. He's like, mate, can I see your license? Do you know how fast you're going? I was like, look, really sorry. I've actually just come back from the UK. I was riding super bikes for Honda. <laughs> <laughs> and man, like second, second nature, this story comes tumbling out of my mouth. Oh, yeah, broke my leg riding for Honda. And they sent me this bike as a retirement gift. I've come back. I'm living with my dad now while I find a house. That's why the bike's registered in his name. And he looks me up and down. And no word of a lie, he goes... I've seen you on TV. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, mate, you probably have. Bear in mind, I'm tripping out in my head going, this is fucking working again. I was like, yeah, you probably have. Look, a lot of those races were televised. Go, when you get back to the station, just type my name into YouTube and have a look. All my highlights are on there. Poor cunt would have gone back to the station. I hope to God he typed my name in and found fucking nothing. Because wow. he turns around and goes, look, Josh, I'm going to let you off riding out of class. It's a $100 fine, no demerits. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. He's like, I go, he goes, but you can't ride the bike home. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you're fucking, yeah, I just played this fucking game. I was like, mate, we're in Coo G. This is the middle of fucking nowhere. I live up in, um, in East Perth. He's like, Josh, we're going to go this way. <laughs> I fucking wow. swear to God, it was like carbon coffee of the first time. I wonder if the, the two ever met. Bro, I was riding home laughing hysterically in my helmet that I had managed to pull that off twice so much so that I just could not wait to bring my dad. I think I stopped. I was going to one of our friends' house. I stopped on the way, took my helmet off, called my dad and told him what had happened and then put my helmet on and went on my way because it was just that good. Fuck me. That's amazing. <laughs> Kissed on the dick by a fairy, mate. So yeah, I did 40,000 road Ks with no motorbike license and got two out-of-class fines, uh, two, a combination of 200 bucks and, uh, and no points. But the culmination of all this story is riding motorbikes on the road, one of the greatest fucking things. It's, mm. it's amazing. Traffic no longer is a thing that you need to consider. You're at the front of every traffic light. You can lane split down the freeway. And um, it is completely fucking delightful. However, I've, I've nearly died a few times no, by no fault of my own. And um, you've got people now that, like, everyone is on their phone. Bro. Everyone. Literally. It's fucking insane. 
I was in the car the other day with someone I won't name, but like we were driving somewhere and he was trying to tell someone where to go on a map. So he's bouncing between the Google map. Oh my God. And Messy. texting. Fuck. And we're on the freeway. And I'm like, dude, do you want me to hold the wheel? <laughs> Like, it's, it's insane, man. Those decisions can change the uh, direction of your whole life. You know? right, I've always had old cars, as you know, uh, predominantly, and this new car has got CarPlay. Mm. So Siri sends and receives all of my text messages, yeah. and there is something amazing about hearing a really posh British woman read out group chat when <laughs> it's all about cocks and balls and, and all the rest of it. I got mindset to Irish, eh? Oh, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, it's good, Irish woman. Before we, before we went on to the, the motorbike thing I was talking about, breaking my wrist snowboarding oh yes so i had wires and pins in my hand what you don't know before that's happened is that when you put things inside your body especially temporary things like wires so that wires were there to keep my wrist straight while they waited to see if the bone that they had made out of my hip was going to pass the test of my hand and be accepted into the world of hand bones. Yeah, they're um, basically testing the borg on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't bend my wrist for six months. When you have something foreign inside your body, your body realizes every now and then and it sends an emergency response and the emergency response is pain. Mm. So it goes, your hand is on fire. These are all of the nerves that would be going off if your hand was on fire and it's fucking excruciating. So I had enough Oxycontin to have every two hours for six months. I didn't need to take it all the time because you're not having that pain all the time. Mm. It's pretty fast acting. This was before they were doing slow release ones. So I had Endone five milligram tablets, two of those, and I could take them and the pain would go away. They're amazing. Like definitely my drug of choice, like 100%. I can say to you right now, prior to that, it's just painkillers, right? So it's mm -hmm. just like Panadine Fort or Tramadol or whatever they're giving you for various ailments that you have. Like I had knee surgery. I always found they just made me feel sick and stuff. I took these and I was like, I remember sitting on my couch and putting on the James Blake record in my headphones, putting my hands just above my knees and just sort of closing my eyes. And I listened to the album start to finish and I didn't realize until it was finished that I hadn't moved for the entire time. And I felt every moment of that. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was like a spiritual experience. And I was like, holy shit. That was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And that's synthetic heroin. Mm. So that didn't get me addicted to it, but it did make me interested in feeling that again. And I was like, well, I'm on these drugs. I'm being prescribed them. I'm taking them as directed. That was literally the dose that I'm meant to take, right? It was like right at the start of me writing music. There's no expectation on me to do anything because I've just had like major surgery. So I get about two or three weeks in and I realize that I'm like kind of groggy all the time and stuff. And I'm not one of those people that is very comfortable when they're not active. So I was like, I'm going to start running and stuff because it was just my arm. I went to a meeting down Wangarraway, like a business meeting. That morning, I'd just gone, yeah, I'm not going to take any Oxycontin because I seemed to be all right. I was feeling a bit clammy. It makes you feel a little bit sick. And I was driving, pulled over on the side of the road and vomited. I laid in the car and I was like, I've never felt this bad before in my life. Like I felt so fucking bad that my, you know, normally when you vomit, you feel relief. You'd be like drunk or like wake up with a hangover and you feel like shit and then you vomit and then you're like, ah, oh, I kind of feel better. And you might go back to feeling shit. There was no feeling better from this. It was horror. And I had to drive back home and miss the meeting and take an Oxycontin because I knew about this stuff already. Um, and then I just tape it off them and it was fine. But still now, that was what, 2015? 
I still think about the, every single day. Every, and I'm not, this is no fucking lie. I still think about the feeling that I got from Oxycontin every single day, just once. I was talking to my mum about this the other day because I got a pretty big interest in it because I read like a book about Purdue Pharma and then I watched that Dope Sick show. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky, like super lucky because I think I didn't have that addictive gene maybe. Yeah, but you still copped all the withdrawals. Yeah, well, I copped it. I only copped them that once. Oh, yeah. And that was just a very, very minor thing. And they didn't continue after that or anything like that. I had a huge stockpile of Oxycontin for a long time and I kind of worked my way through them. Um with the pain and then i still had some i had about 12 and i had them for a year and a half and over that year and a half i'd like treat myself and like take a couple one tuesday night and like watch a movie or work on some music or do something or some really good music as well um some really fucking depressing music too yeah yeah. (laughs) this is very true but it felt it reached the people but yeah, that, that stuff is obviously like super fucking powerful and you feel the grips of that. I'd never understood addiction before to that level. Mm. But when I got that sickness, I was like, oh my God, you could be trapped in this. And fortunately I wasn't trapped in it. And that didn't stop me. Like I've still done it since. Every now and then like it will pop up and someone will be like, I've got this or I had knee surgery and they gave it to me. And I was like, ah little holiday back into that <laughs> um but you just know not to go that deep with it i suppose yeah. and now they make them a lot of them they make um slow release slow release yeah so they're, they're relatively ineffective in that sense yeah but the power of it is astounding mate it's it really is fucking insane like that we get prescribed these things i mean even xanax for example i said before it's like for me literally time traveling i woke up and i had no idea where the fuck i was and this shit gets prescribed to people which is going to make me ask like you said before you had um you'd got your weed prescription yeah what uh what brought that on well i've thrown caution to the wind as far as we spoke about on this before with the the dexies what did the doctor that you consulted with on the medicinal say about the ADD thing? It's actually one of the, so they have a list of things that they can prescribe medicinal marijuana in Australia for and ADHD is one of them. Fucking crazy. So your and doctor's out here saying you smoke weed. Oh, yeah. yeah, you inject weed once and you yeah. die. Like my, my doctor's a fucking idiot. Oh, yes, of course. Dexy. So I am definitely yeah. going to run into an issue when I get drug tested again. But I mean, I'll just not smoke weed for a month. Um, Fuck. I got, I think I have another review in a few months, but the reality is at the moment that I'm not a criminal for smoking weed, which is really nice. Fuck, don't count your chickens before they've hatched because it's still a gray area in the sense that if we got done by a booze bus and got drug tested Mm -hmm. and we popped for THC, our prescription's not going to save us. No, no, that's right. But, but the thing is can, you should be driving when you're stoned anyway. But it stays in your system for a week. Yeah, but that's the thing is it stays in your system for a month. What's the roadside one? Is it a oral one or is yeah. it urine? swab. Okay. Yeah, so you could pro- – like my understanding of that is you could probably beat that in court because it's so in. Yes, you, you're, you're probably correct, but you have to go through that rigmarole. Exactly. you still got to talk to your lawyer and do, do all that shit. Look, the reality is I'm not going to – like I don't drive high. Like I've, I – I haven't done for a very long time. I had a bad experience, um, like a few years ago. I like just a bad experience within myself. I, was, I didn't crash. Yeah, yeah. I've I've not been tested before either. Touch wood, but um, yeah. it uh, it it still highlights a, a real fucking blatant gap in in planning. It does, but the, let's just say this: take driving out of the equation. Greatest thing ever. 
the psychological difference of having weed delivered to my office in a, a branded box with medical approval on it and having screenshotted in my phone a federal government thing saying that it's completely legal for me to have it. She said, look, weed's beneficial for me, right? Like I, I, I found weed and it's the same for you. Weed is beneficial. Don't get me wrong. Smoking weed makes you feel chilled out and, and nice and happy and stuff like that. We've always associated that with the negative. It's like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this because it's illegal, right? So that enjoyment that you get is you being on the fringes of society or being bad. And I spoke about this before. I went to America and realized that a lot of people I respected and a lot of people that were successful smoked weed and they would, they didn't have the, the standard um, sort of tropes of being associated with like fringe society. It was just a normal thing because it was, because everyone had legal marijuana cards there. So now to smoke weed, like I got given a, a indicator sleep and to go, okay, well, cool. This one's for sleep and this one I can stay concentrating with. They're really, I find them really strong and like, it's good. I'm not completely sold on using it all the time. Like I'm not high now. Um, I didn't smoke last night, but like the night before I smoked and now I woke up feeling, sometimes you feel like a little bit hungover from weed and stuff like that. It's something that I can introduce or utilize and, and use at my discretion to better my life not as a we spoke about it before not as an escape i don't want to fucking like numb the pain of existence with weed but i also if i do have all those issues i had with my back i was given an absolute fucking arsenal of anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. and that shit fucks your stomach up so badly it does yeah and um yet when i started taking cbd which was illegal all of those things went away. I bought CBD for my mom. Yeah. She has rheumatoid arthritis. She doesn't have to take any of the other drugs that fuck her up now because she takes that. So removing the idea of you doing something wrong by having weed is like, it's quite psychologically freeing, which is not something I had expected. Yeah. I still think, look, for me in particular, it's, it's interesting because there's the whole medicinal versus recreational uh stalemate right now so like i think of smoking weed whether it be through a joint or a bong or whatever as recreational whereas you know like i got prescribed these cbd wafers for example which you know come in a packet like a panadol you pop them out and there is more of a i suppose pharmaceutical vibe to it i think that if we were to be looking at this medicinally i think the government and this is you know cutting off my nose to spite my face here because i enjoy the recreational aspect i enjoy smoking but they probably shouldn't have gone down the, the dry flower route mm. because it's it just introduces these issues. And, for example, I know someone who has a script who got denied a repeat today because she was smoking it um, through a bong instead of a vaporizer. And it's like she didn't have $450 for a medical-grade fucking vaporizer. How did they know? She told him because... Um, it's you've got to be open and honest with your doctors right um i don't know where she got that idea from well okay with the first person that she met with yeah um she was open and honest with and she's like yeah that's fine we recommend you using a, said to me. a vaporizer but we're certainly not going to stop your medicine which they're calling it 
uh, because you'd smoke it in a way that we don't necessarily think is pharmaceutically beneficial. So what's her course of action now? Um, fucking suck eggs. Go fucking buy it. Not cancelled, no, but they wouldn't give her a repeat for the flower. Which, again, technically, I think not even that that far off the mark. Maybe she shouldn't have had it uh, if it was being treated in a medicinal sense. But the fact that we have access to flour, I think, really only promotes us using it in a way that might not be as therapeutically beneficial as they have intended it to be. Well, it's, as therape- it's, it's as therapeutically beneficial as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, look at the anti-anxiety elements of it. It's, it's fucking great. It is, but use a spray. Yeah, but why? Because if it's medical, what, what I'm saying is the fact that there is flour and you give people the option. If you're selling flour, it should be almost compulsory to buy the needle or the fucking delivery mechanism through which you then have to deliver it you can't just give someone a vial of of morphine and say oh yeah whack this in however you want there's a process to it because it's well, there's a delivery process to it correct the but thing what is, they're though, doing they is need... dictating the delivery process without first explaining that it's it's a prerequisite that it goes down one path but again that's one message mm. versus another which is completely different there there is mixed messaging it's not consistent and i understand that we're in the infancy of this here but they're doing a fucking terrible job of it again mm. i mean i don't know why australia thinks we need to reinvent the fucking wheel they've done it in canada which is a commonwealth country perfectly and not a single fucking issue copy that don't try and rewrite the fucking uh, the the playbook for us. are they not giving out flour in canada it's it's not that they've not giving out flour they've gone full recreational with it yeah so you can do whatever the fuck you want because you're a grown-ass adult and we trust you and you're not going to od on injecting marijuanas the interesting thing is like because i don't smoke bongs and i do have a vaporizer um but it's just another delivery system. It doesn't matter. Like I'll smoke joints as well. It is, but um, you know the whole the whole fire and fumes associated with it is detrimental to your lungs. There's no yeah yeah. You can't say it's any, it's any different. Yeah, but I mean, like, what are we fucking talking about? Sorry, like, I'm not saying you, by the way. No, I know, yeah. but I mean, like, any drug that you get from any prescription has a side effect has, yeah it has an insanely negative side effects no like shit. read the read that depression shit. suicidal tendencies yeah <laughs> fucking up your stomach yeah you, heart um, palpitations yeah yeah so it's like don't like if i can if i can meet with the doctor and discuss issues that i have which marijuana can be can be beneficial for and i don't fucking need it it's not like a drug that i require to stay alive but i'm a 39 year old person it's like i can make those fucking decisions and the fact is, they said, have you ever been medicated for insomnia? Have you ever been medicated for um, back issues? Have you ever been medicated for ADHD? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are potentially, these are treatments that are available to you. So here you are and you're welcome. Don't get me wrong. I'm pretty confident they'll take it away. I don't know if they're going to take it away from me specifically, but I think they're going to take it away. And I thought that when I got it, but it was an interesting process to go through and I now have, I didn't have to have, I didn't have to interface with a fucking, a person in a car park to buy weed. Mm. 
You know what I mean? Like if I walk out of here, And that's Hollywood, by the way. Some people go to open houses and knock on the door of a house that they don't know Yeah. to buy a stick of shit uh, that could be anything from people they don't know. It's like a car park would be would be nice. The other, the other thing that was interesting is knowing what a sativa is and knowing what an indica is in the sense that you're not just being told this by some fucking chemist or some, some professional <laughs> weed guy. So I smoked the sativa which is the one that doesn't put you to sleep and i was like oh okay i've had this before you know what i mean because mm-hmm. people will say people say anyone that knows anyone that's ever bought weed before knows that people are fucking liars oh this is the, this is the lights, white bro. widow bro yeah. this is this and that and it's just like it's just just garbage so to know like pharmaceutical grade and and the stuff interestingly enough one of the um I think it was the indica that I got was um, produced in Denmark here um, by a company called Little Green Pharma. Yeah. They which I tried to invest in. in. Mm-hmm. Um, we missed out on the IPO and they actually are one of the major suppliers of the Canadian market. Yep. Uh, you mentioned before, you know, when you were talking about crypto and, and uh, NFTs and shit, I think uh, the Wild West right now is going to be if we can get to recreational status on on weed. Talk about being vertically integrated, like uh, grow, distribute, warehouse, provide security, provide all of those ancillary services around um, not just the growing, but the the retailing, the wholesaling, all of that. If you can create a model that vertically integrates all of that, you will make a mint. You know what? I looked into this because I thought, the same thing um and sadly in wa we don't have the population that is going to make a lot of money for that so i looked at california i did this two years ago look further ahead think think wine oh yeah no okay i i know what you're saying but we're talking about that's that's when it comes to like distribution and uh, like global distribution and stuff like that completely what i'm thinking about is the taxation that legalizing um, the decriminalizing weed or legalizing recreational use of weed in WA would be because the big issue in California is when they completely legalized weed, it got more expensive because the government started making a bunch of tax money off it. So the black market still existed. People would buy it like wholesale essentially and then sell it on the streets. But the quality of the weed got better. There was huge, huge by uh, huge issues that I'll talk about in a second that, that come from that. But just looking at that model, I went, okay, well, if they did that here, if they legalize weed here and it brought in, you know, even if they taxed it 25%, which I think they tax cigarettes 50 here, but say they taxed the 25% on the population here, even if like we had like a 70% uptake in people smoking weed, the money that would be generated by the taxation, which is the big thing in Denver and the big thing in everywhere, right? It's like, that's, that's a major thing. Um, absolutely pales in comparison to the money that WA would generate if they even taxed, I think it was like 5% on the fuel tax for the mining companies. Yeah. So I don't think it would ever be able to pass based on that where they're going, oh, look, if we legalize weed, we're going to get all this tax money. It's like that tax money is already there. You're just giving it in breaks to giant mining conglomerates. Yeah, they're not going to stop though. No, I know, um, but I, th- I think it causes an interesting thing because how are you going to run a campaign saying that it's going to bring tax money in here when the tax money that we're foregoing on like yeah. that sort of stuff? I, th- I think you're right in that the tax philosophy is um, doesn't have legs. Otherwise, if it did, the government's not stupid. If they needed it, they would have been pushing for it. 
So you're right, it's, it's probably not the horse to ride in on. Um, but I'm sure there's another one. And I've always said to my friends who are closely linked to this kind of thing is that the medicinal side of things was always going to be the first beachhead. And then from there, you would be able to expand. The recreational discussion might be a five or 10 year premise. I think it's going to be probably inside of five years mm. uh, at the rate of change right now. Uh, I'd be very surprised if it's not. But I've always said that, that that medicinal part is going to be the first one. And it came through almost under cover of night. Didn't even realize it was it was here until it is. Yeah, exactly. And I think in fairness, the, the places like where I've got my script from, and where your friends got their script from, I do actually think that they're probably going to hinder the process more than help it because Possibly. it feels like it's potentially getting through some loopholes. Loophole yeah. Um, and I'm here for it. Or, yeah, it, it may do the the inverse and, and make it seem more like a, a legitimate thing. And I will give that particular brand a... Um, uh, a boost, uh, not a boost, but like a, a shout, not a shout, even a shout out. But what they've done with their their integration of the application that they use, the dashboard that they give you for all of your documentation, all of that is schmick as fuck. Mm-hmm. Really, really fucking well put together. Um, so they've obviously invested a lot of money into it. I don't think this is a flash in the pan thing for them in the sense like they're not expecting to get it shut down. So I hope for their sake. The they infrastructure keep going. is there. Um, it's for anyone who wants to check it out. It's called pollen.com, P O L L n.com you just sign up and then you get a consultation with the doctor on zoom and they're a real doctor yeah they were very helpful and it was a very easy process um it was it's interesting though you know it said about the california thing with them them legalizing weed huge problem that that caused goes back to what we were talking about before it's the opioid problem a ton of weed used to be produced and distributed from mexico even before they legalized weed in california when there was medicinal use and everyone you could just get the card the demand for weed from mexico just went down a lot because they couldn't even come close to producing the quality of weed that was being sold and produced in california itself and you need to think when you remove imaginary lines which are borders borders as everyone knows like to grow weed and to produce it and to farm it at that sort of a level requires a lot of space and that's something that mexico Mexico had power water exactly so they had all of these fucking facilities still. They started realizing that there was a huge opioid crisis in the States and that everyone wanted to buy Oxycontin and Xanax, right? Now, Oxycontin and Xanax are both not the easiest drugs to produce. So methamphetamine is quite easy to produce, um, which is why there's a huge meth problem in America now, which I only just found out about from this other thing that I was reading. But what happened with the Oxycontin and the Xanax is the cartels figured out that they could actually make the same drugs, right? They could look the same, they could have the same packaging, they could come in the same pill wrappers, they can have the same numbers on them, all of that. Very, very simple. America shut it down so that they couldn't get key ingredient products. So there was certain elements that they put on almost like a terror watch list. Yeah, like pseudoephedrine here, you can't buy it, you know? Exactly. So it made it hard again. So they were like, yeah, we've really struck a blow to the cartels here. What is really easy to get your hands on is the ingredients or whatever it is to make fentanyl because it's purely synthetic. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, the effects of fentanyl are very extreme. So if you've major surgery, fentanyl is what they give you. So it's part of the anesthesia to fully put you under and you need an anesthesiologist to give you that, all of that stuff. So what they've done is they've produced all this fentanyl and then they've got Oxycontin pills and they've got Xanax pills. And because they don't have the active ingredients for 
the opioids for those they've just been putting fentanyl in these drugs so that when people take them they're high as shit similar high right but it's not regulated how much is going in and that's why everyone is dying of fentanyl overdoses not even knowing they're taking fentanyl so mac miller Mm -hmm. died off xanax yeah prince michael jackson so many man like like every white rapping kid with a face tattoo yeah like it's fucking crazy and that's all coming from tainted xanax and tainted oxys yeah america because america had that opioid crisis which was put together by the pharmaceutical companies and then it got removed and people were like fully addicted like i said yeah people are scratching and and vomiting cartel just filled the filled the gap filled the gap and where they couldn't heroin became Mm. commonplace again it's pretty insane. If you watch that dope sick, it's very, very, very mm. interesting. I mean, it's ecosystems, right? You take something away to try and better other things and there's always adverse side effects to that that you mm-hmm. haven't considered. The other thing is if we were talking about legalizing weed here and using California as like a point of reference, California is a bag of shit that is on fire right now. Yeah, it's, hard. So it's definitely That's cool. not winning points. because it's, it's full of Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Canada is where I would take my uh, my guide from. I got a guy, a very good friend of mine, Brett, lives in Vancouver, and um, he delights in telling me about his life over there. And he's got like a weed sommelier, um, a lady who'll come to his house with a fucking menu, and I believe he can purchase mushrooms and all sorts of delights through this particular lady. It seems like the Wild West. And I, for one, am all about it. Yeah. So as soon as we can travel, can group buy on Vancouver. <laughs> I've not been to Vancouver before. I've been I to, have. Yeah? A long time ago. I, I was 10. And they weren't, you weren't doing mushrooms? I didn't at the time, no. <laughs> I had a real fucking uh, penchant for uh, sour worms, though, at the time, I remember. They were, they were going off there? Yeah. Yeah, I still have a penchant for, for <laughs> sour worms. <laughs> I wasn't allowed soft drink when I was a kid. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, we didn't have soft drink in the house. And like, I was talking to someone about it and they were saying that that's the reason they don't really have soft drink now because they never brought up with it. And I was like, I had the opposite. And you want it more? Yeah. Mm. And and like, I've still got a sweet tooth to this day. I don't drink it now. But I, don't, I, I, was... I don't drink, I, soft drink's not really something that I fuck with now. Like I have a Coke Zero, which yeah. is what I like. Yeah. But um, sour worms and sugary lollies. Nah. Jesus Christ. Not really for me. I'm about it. Eh? Yeah. I still am. I just cut myself off entirely. If I buy a pack of fucking sour worms, they're gone. They're not They're so, not hanging around. So I literally just don't buy it because I know what I'll do to it. I got that proximity. <laughs> I live so close to a 24-hour oh, IGA. Yeah, it's that it's like, across the road. Yeah, it's tough. I'll do my grocery shopping and my grocery shopping is healthy. I'll go past those aisles and I'm like, I'm not eating that. <laughs> But you know, like at like fucking 11 p.m. Oof. When you've had your medicinal marijuana. Mate, I... the sour worms are just there. There's a few, there's a few that'll get me. Like um, peanut M&M's, big time. And the Maxi Bon ice cream, I tell you. I don't think there's a better ice cream that's been made. (laughs) Not in the last 10, 15 years anyway. They changed the fucking giant sandwich recipe and I'll never go back. Right. See, I'm not really that big on chocolate, so... Oh, Yes. But that's your vice. Nah, man. I'm not like a sweets person at all, generally. But if it's there, I'll fuck it up. You Do you eat, I mean? you eat pretty healthy? I definitely try to. Mm. I, I get fits and spurts. Um, Do you eat fast food? Like, do you even go through McDonald's drive through and stuff like that? Very, very rarely. Very, very rarely. There was a time... I feel 
I feel the best I ever feel when I just don't be a fucking dead shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, a cycle, eh? Because you can slide into it. It's like if you have Macca's once, hard. you're likely to do it twice. I'm in, I'm in a kind of rut at the moment where I'm I'm not uh, treating my body like the temple it needs to be treated <laughs> as. And uh, I haven't been training all that much uh, over this week as well. And I'm really, really feeling it. Um, time, time to go back and, um, and get strangled. Yeah. yeah. I need to real bad. It's about finding that consistency, right? Because I feel like the way you're describing that is sort of like, I'm right back into the gym right now. Like I'm really into like, because I'm feeling super revitalized because I don't have nicotine. And like a lot of it is just, it feels Mm -hmm. like energy I need to burn off. And it's not something I was expecting from quitting. Mm. I didn't realize that I'd felt, I did realize that I felt quite downtrodden, but I didn't realize that it was that. That's a good byproduct to have. I blame the the festive period, you know, three weeks off from my fucking suit and tie job. I um, have taken great pleasure in being a lazy piece of shit mm. but i felt like i needed to so i've i've, I've reconciled with that. that with my with myself and that's fine um but i have told myself the old adage of oh yeah 10th of january that all changes josh yeah i mean that's good i don't think there's anything wrong with that like talk to me on the 11th of january yeah exactly <laughs> i'll be like you there you're in the gym um the halfway through a big mac the interesting thing is though do you find that say this period this christmas period you're like i'm gonna take my foot off the gas because i'm gonna relax and stuff like that do you feel comfortable with being a piece of shit? Like <laughs> never. Like now, just, never. You never. You never get to really enjoy you don't. it, right? You don't. And I've, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's like the first time I've had time off where I've had that conversation with myself and I've been like, hey, man, you've got to from whenever it was till the 10th of Jan. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Don't feel bad about it. If you want to sit there and watch fucking 17 episodes of Seinfeld yeah. back to back to back to back, fucking treat yourself. But it, when it comes to 10th of January, fucking socks up, let's roll. You know what I mean? You need to be strict with yourself. And for me, I need to set myself boundaries. Otherwise, I'll take the piss. And even when I do have boundaries, I still take the piss. It's a constant battle. But what you were saying before, like when you go to, if you want to do that, you can. But while you're doing it, you beat yourself up yeah yeah it's fucked so yeah. you don't get a chance to really enjoy that being a piece of shit because you have like this thing i've struggled with it for so long where i'll be doing something that you would say is relaxing it's like play playstation or sit by the pool or binge watch a tv show or something and i find it hard to find the comfort in that because there's something inside of me that's going you're a piece of shit even though you're like this is good for me right now this is what i, I should be doing right now and in the absence of having something to do, which this Christmas period, I've definitely had an absence of having things I really needed to do, like being busy. And I've found it the first time in a very long time. And I don't know if this comes with the nicotine thing. She feels like it slowed down a little bit. So the other day I was like, go to the gym, get some sun. That is all. So I went and read a book in the sun. I chilled out. I fucking played Fortnite again, which I hadn't done in ages. Wow. Um, How's your 90s? And I just relaxed. How's my what? Yeah, how's your 90s? Oh, man. I'm, t- I'm as terrible as I was. Um, <laughs> I still remember the first time we ever played Fortnite together, though. That was, a, um, that was a time. You know, Fortnite has evolved into something that none of us are happy about. But those first few seasons of Fortnite, what a fucking game. That was so beneficial to me. It's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. And this, I suppose this conversation is really going to make a lot of sense to me and you I was talking to Tom Phillips about this because I played with Tom as well. Mm. There's like a few people I played with. And I don't think people realize how important that shit was to me at the time. 
because I was going through really, really, really bad time. Like dad fucking died at that time. Shit was really bad. And I'd never played a computer game before, not online. I'd never once mm. played an online computer game. I played FIFA with you. I played GTA five when I fuck my, when I wreck my wrist but I'd never been an online gamer. There, there is no pressure or competitive feeling like a top 10 in Fortnite. No, no, exactly. It, it, that, that is online gaming, like distilled down into you versus another person. It was and a whole world. It was. It was a whole world. And there was people in there where I was feeling literally like my lowest. Like I was like really, 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 really struggling with just everyday life. I remember being embarrassed of the fact that I bought like a headset and stuff like that because I had a PlayStation. I just never used it. And you were like, man, jump on this thing. And I was having conversations with friends and playing at the same time and joking around and like getting this social interaction without the kind of pressure of social interaction. Well, I couldn't go like at the time I couldn't go out. No. I didn't know how I was going to be like, I didn't know if I was like, I was dealing with some really heavy shit, but you can like, turn your headset off and put it down and be out of it. Exactly. And it was so beneficial for me in that period. And then soon after that, it became a thing that I would just do. Like I put myself like Habit. offline. Addict. I play without, but yeah. And yeah. I would just be like, because it, it was something that actually consumed my mind. And that's the scary thing about those things is like, you're completely consumed. So it was like, I can't deal with funeral organization. Shit. Like, it's just like, I'm just going to put this on. No one can fucking talk to me. And all that matters is what I'm doing. And I didn't even care if I was just like getting killed straight away or anything like yeah. that. And I just like sit up till fucking like four in the morning. So it's definitely like a good and a bad, but it's really, really, really interesting to see that community, which I'd never experienced before because I never grew up gaming. Gaming, The concept yeah. of gaming was just mm. like completely foreign to me. Um, so it's been f quite fun in the last week or so. I have had a PS5 since day one. I have been a PlayStation fanboy for since day one, since they came out, I had the first one. And the PlayStation 5 was the most underwhelming release I've ever had the displeasure of being involved in. It's a piece of shit. Mate, didn't even buy a game for it. I was playing Warzone, like, um, purely because it was just on there. I fucking hated Warzone at the end there. It's trash. But um, finally, they remastered Ghost of Tsushima for ps5 it was ps4 game came out late in the ps4 piece and they they remastered ps5 if anyone watching this uh, listening to this has a ps5 or a ps4 and needs a game to play i would say ghost of tsushima is the best game i've played since red dead redemption 2 which i don't know if you've played that no i've not played anything life-changing in terms of what you feel is now an acceptable level of polish for a video game the story was one of the the greatest stories i've ever experienced whether it be a book or a movie this is Just red dead red dead fan fucking tastic everything worked there was no real disgusting game-breaking glitches and all that. Red Dead was just super good. The one before that was Grand Theft Auto V, hands down. There's battlefields and shit that are all that are all great, but games that really stand out are few and far between. GTA V, Red Dead Redemption 2, and for me, Ghost of Tsushima, it was just, the art was just, it's just glorious to look at. It's a beautiful, beautiful game. What's the concept? You are a samurai when the Mongols invade Japan and they capture 
the lord of whatever the island who's your uncle your dad's died a long time ago um and you get saved you get pretty much killed on the battlefield but you get saved and it's about the story of how this guy who nearly dies comes back frees his uncle frees japan of the mongol hordes but he does it in a non-samurai non-traditional way in the sense that he pushes back against his uncle who is a very strict japanese samurai lord it's like you must do this with honor he's got poison darts and smoke bombs and assassinates people kind of like assassin's creed-ish meets samurais super good story's dope um fucking the art is spectacular it looks fantastic and you can just you can just sink hours into it and not feel like you're wasting time yeah because you're experiencing a story exactly and obviously i did the squid game thing and listened to it all in japanese with subtitles and that just adds to the adds to the fervor so again if you uh, are struggling for a game to play and you want something good josh's pick this week is ghost of tsushima it's funny man i respect the medium <laughs> a lot more i never used to i played computer games when i was a kid i played like the early quest stuff like um police quest and space quest and stuff like that monkey island yeah and I, amazing and then i was gone i never really played games again mm-hmm. um and then i never played anything until grand theft auto yeah and i fucking enjoyed that that was really good fun what's interesting for me is watching game development is um i think with the fact that like the graphics and shit got so fucking good and the ability to do these crazy cutscenes, there is seemingly this battle between gameplay and the game and the fact that it's trying to be like a production or a movie or something mm-hmm. there's this battle between like you find yourself Story in cutscenes for five minutes where you're watching shit it's just like cunt just let me shoot some motherfuckers that's all i want to do they, they they seem to be a little bit confused trying to do too much and these games are always coming out unpolished unfinished oh it needs this update needs this patch it needs this constantly fucking trying to fix issues the state of the gaming industry have a listen to Dr. Disrespect have a yarn on on his thoughts but the gaming industry right now is in absolute turmoil really the fact that something's come out like Tsushima and not everyone's um not everyone's played it is um is testament to that because that um that really impressed me I always keep up on trying to see where GTA 6 is at and it just seems to like there's nothing yes and it's so sad because it's like to get into I wouldn't say into gaming but to get into that and and have a little bit of a change of opinion on that medium i was like sick what's next and there was just nothing there was nothing yeah. ever because i bought a few games i was like oh maybe this is something i'll do now because i got through gta 5 and i was like i think like everyone i was like this is amazing well i, I kept, never I played kept, it online i kept I, telling you to do red dead but you were like no i don't want to get into it because it's going to be like gta 5 yeah the thing play fucking red dead and take it in bites because that's you go story too bro 100 yeah i didn't play one okay. I, pl- I started one but i didn't finish it red dead i played to the finish the story is fucking insane and the things that you can do inside the game makes gda 5 look like like small really it's wild man yeah and ghost obviously that's uh that's a cracker i wonder how that would go now because gta 5 hit all of the cultural sort of touch points at the time but it was pretty hardcore it as was. far as like yeah the grand theft auto always was you know yeah do you reckon that they're going to be restricted now by their ability within the social justice kind of no nah, i think i think they're always going to be slightly rebellious and i think they do it well though they find a thing and they push on it 
ever so gently just enough to kind of tip but not break mm. and they have a, they have a very good gauge of what we're going to find socially acceptable and what they're going to be able to get away with and i think that's probably due to the nature of the size of their business rockstar gaming is like a billion multi-billion dollar fucking well, they uh, made enterprise. a billion they made a billion day one on gta 5. yeah yeah what it cost them like a hundred million to make which is the most expensive video game ever created but they made a billion dollars basically game, on opening what a game. Bro, it's fantastic. And it's still being played actively today. I and bought it last week. I've bought PS5. it three times. Because yeah. I fucking get rid of, like, I got rid of the PS3, got rid of GDA. Bought a PS4. I was like, oh, fuck, play GDA again. Got a PS5, bought it again. Yeah. Fucking insane, man. When that came out, there was no cancel culture. Yeah. But it was just, or it probably just preceded it by maybe. Cancel culture's always existed, though. I mean, like, look at Eminem, you know, people pushing up uh, back against him. I remember that as being like a real kind of watershed event while I was in school, you know, the whole rebellion, or not the rebellion, but the pushback against him. But it wasn't social, it was. That was by more powers that be, right? Like that FCC, weren't they? Yeah, but they they were responding to the people's outcry. Remember, they weren't being allowed to be played on radio and shit. Yeah, but it was definitely the like okay, so it was definitely the adults and the parents, right? Yes. But now, like now, the role of calling out injustice is seen to be stronger by the kids, right? (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. Yeah, it'd be interesting because it'd be interesting if a game come like that comes out and then you are like cancelled for playing it. You know, like at the moment, dude, like it's crazy how much people are off you if you say that you like listen to Joe Rogan. Yeah. It's seen as that kind of bro. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, yeah, it is. Like it, it always has been in some way, but it's funny. Like, and it's entertaining and it's educational at times, but it's always been taken with a grain of salt. Mm. But now it's like, oh, if you listen to that, you're like a racist bigot or something. It's like, oh, for fuck's well, Some sake. people do treat that podcast as their like sort of one sort of truth, Bible, you yeah. know? So you get fucking idiots. Like some of the people that listen to us, I'm sure, are fucking got screw loose. Everyone seems lovely. <laughs> Everyone that's reached out has been great. I've noticed a few, a few names pop up from people that have messaged in that I never thought this would cross their... A lot of things that we're doing are somewhat Perth-centric, I suppose. A hundred percent. And it's, you know, after a few discussions, I've always, I, th- I thought it's worthwhile mentioning, neither Scott or I has a fucking clue no. about anything that we talk about. We are certified fucking idiots. What we have is um, a Zoom uh, and, P- uh, P4 recorder and, and three microphones. And, and an internet, internet connection. And we're coming to you live from your living room. This is so typical of my life, and it probably is of yours, where my way of having better conversations with people is to create a business. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's like you you kind of make, like, you businessify your social life by throwing parties in your 20s. And Mm -hmm. there's always a party. There's always something to do. And then in my like late thirties, I'm like, man, I'm feeling a bit disconnected. Like, man, you could have just gone for dinner once a week. You know? <laughs> hey, man, you want to uh, you want to hang out more? Yeah, cool. I'll just go buy three microphones and a uh, and we'll uh, brand a we'll brand a podcast. <laughs> Seems Fuck like man. a lot of fucking hard work. That's it. Well, I think that's us, man. Club good. Club good. Club good.